0: This episode of Talking Smith About Film is brought to you by Miracles. Because yes, they do happen. It's 7 o'clock, it's Tuesday the 13th of July, a few days later than we would have liked. It's time to talk about the marathon. This is Talking Smith About Film. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening depending on where you are and welcome to Talking Smith About Film, the flagship film podcast from ejacksmith.com. in a week where football came home via a detour to Italy that nobody really planned or prepared for, England prepared for full capacity in its cinemas for the first time since March 2020 and some something about a marathon being COVID secure. What else would you need from a podcast? A bloke celebrating his birthday a week and a bit later than anticipated. Oh my word, it's been a difficult day behind the scenes. Um, we're not going to go into the graphic detail, but family members had Achilles surgery about two and a half hours ago. And it is an absolute miracle. We are on air uh, to begin with because uh, we've very nearly called the whole thing off. This is, sadly, the last Talking Smith better film for about two and a, two and a bit weeks, uh, but we are going out for a bit of a summer break with a bang, because we've not got one, we've not got two, we've not got three, but we've got four reviews, three of which are currently in cinemas. One of them is a reissue, which we've never talked about on Talking Smith before. So, let's not waste any time and get straight on with talking smith about film and importantly we are live uh we are back live the live chat isn't live tonight after what went down with the americans two weeks ago this is a very much tiger perry free zone but there are still so many ways you can get involved with talking smith about film here are just a selection of them hit the music music man So you can go old school by emailing us podcast at LeeJackSmith.com. You can tweet us using the hashtag TalkingSmith at one of the two Twitter accounts. You find me directly at LeeJackSmith or you can go to the Smith on Film corporate account. That's a good place to start. Facebook and Instagram users, we have you covered as well. That is at Smith on Film. We have the Discord server as well. The link is in the description of the podcast and on YouTube. We're going to build something big for that server going forward and on demand viewers. Drop a few comments. We're going to build a community going. This is your show. You help us set the editorial. This is what might not be your show this week because it's marathon oriented, but you get the idea. You really do get the idea. So the basics for this year's birthday marathon. For those of you who haven't been around for Lee Jack's marathon before, it's simple. One cinema, as many films as you can humanly handle, you go in for the open and you don't leave until the last bus home. Of course, COVID necessitated a couple of changes to the format this year. We spread it out over three days rather than just the usual one. Usually we do three films back, back over the course of one day. We couldn't do that this year. So we spread it out over three days and I made the foolish decision to go to the cinema on the night of the um, England-Denmark game. The one will we make the final. How much furious could I be after watching a film about going fast and furious. The opening film for the 2021 Lee Jack Smith Marathon was the ninth entry of a franchise I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with. Some films have been really good other films have really struggled to hit the mark It's time to go into the depths of Fast 9 and it goes without saying if you've not seen the film at this point well, we're not going to... We'll try our best not to give away too many plot points. This is gonna Triangle for Fast and Furious 9. The world has a way of changing. <laughs> and we change too. I know some people, they would die for me. There are moments that separate us. But we always come back together. We heard y'all needed a little love out here <laughs> Y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarines. And now we got cars flying in the air. Who is he? Jacob is Dom's brother. there's a long time, Dom. Little brother. You always say never turn your back on family. But you turned your back on me. Now your little family is in my world. Are you ready? Whatever's on you. Is you ready? It's on us. Are you ready? He's got his own private army. We need help. Way, what's he got? Way, what's he got? Worry, got? No way. Is you ready? Oh, all squad ready. So how do y'all want to play this? Fast. We've got We've got O. All Squad, Old Squad, ready, ready! Okay, this is a bad time to mention this, but I don't drive. <laughs> Against the brother, this should be interesting. But could you kill him? Get, 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 back. get you for me, would you, do? <laughs> Crank it all the way up. Get back. We the soldiers. Get, 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 get back. Man, we messing with magnets now. Woke to wake up. Whoa. Yeah, up. Yeah, we gave up. Even when we down, we raise up. Yeah. It's good to be back. We got no white flag and no tree. We got the product. We got the tools. We supposed to stop that? Hold on. We going away. We on the loose, in the blind. We are the truth. Yes. It's <laughs> been my entire life in your shadow. And now, you spend the rest of yours yeah! living in mine. We on, wild. we on We on, we on, we on, the loop. Not today. Really, Gug tape? You acting like we on our way to Home Depot. No what a day! yes this film is as bonkers as it looks and yes that final shot did not deceive you the meme has become reality to give you a basic flavour of what this film is like uh, if you've seen the first eight Fast and Furious films you will know the, the backstory if you will this is a film that leans heavily on backstory and the idea of family following on a couple of years after the events of Fast and Furious 8, Cypher, Charlie Ferrone's character, enlists the help of Jacob, Dominic Toretto's younger brother, to take revenge on Dom and his team for all of the hell that she went through trying to take them down in the last movie. Now, I actually genuinely can't remember the clip that we've picked for this film because I picked all of the clips literally as I came out of the cinema for each film with the exception of Trainspotting, which I know inside now but finding a decent clip for fast nine was easier said than done because it's just two uh, two hours 23 minutes of pure bonkers stuff here's a clip Was new. yeah as you can probably guess this film gets more and more bonkers this franchise gets more and more bonkers as it unfolds during a refurb of my local cinema exactly four years four years ago today was when we opened the first first screen at view with we the recliners. during that refurb fast and furious eight hit like a, dem- a demolition ball quite literally uh, with another absolutely bonkers piece of filmmaking from F. Gary Gray. Now, four years on, we've got yet another sequel. Shock horror. It's a bang average film at best, unfortunately. But seriously, how much more ridiculousness can the Fast and Furious franchise take following its shift into full espionage a couple of films ago? Now, it's The Return of Justin Lynn as director on this one. He's the man who directed all the films between Tokyo Drift and Fast 6. He returns to help cap off stories that he started with Tokyo Drift, including, of course, the big story in Fast and Furious films. How the hell does Han come back? How? how? It's... Yeah. Um, His direction's relatively decent compared to the runtime, which could have been brought down a little bit of nudge from 2 hours, 23 minutes. It did feel a bit overly long at points. The pacing did feel bit off at moments but in terms of the actual action set pieces it makes up for it because it's a pure big screen piece of escapism with Lynn's frequent collaborator Chris Morgan who's best known for writing the scripts in these films he's a little bit busy working on the Hobbs and Shaw movie when this was in production it's Lynn and Daniel Casey who are tasked with creating a story worthy of that fast and furious banner and that's the problem this film just tries way too hard to replicate the magic of the older films it does things that defy all laws of, of logic of physics of science it is an absolutely bonkers film at moments but given what we're coming out of in terms of the reopen for many this is the kind of film that they want to see it do, it just tries t- too hard to outdo the films. Set pieces of defy all logic. But what it does make it up for is the backstory. Because what this film does is it fleshes out that Toretto family ideal that we've learned a lot about over the last 20 years in all of these films. I'm um, still of the belief that Fast and Furious 7 is the strongest film of the lot, not just because of what happened with Paul Walker, but it has a lot more meaning, a lot more value to it. But what it does with the backstory is it takes it to places that could warrant future films but I don't want them to make more films and we'll get onto to that a little bit later. Stephen F. Wyndham is behind the camera as usual. Quality of cinematography is a lot higher compared to previous Fast and Furious releases and as ever Brian Tyler nails it on the score. Brian Tyler becoming one of my favourite composers in Hollywood right now. He always delivers something new, something fresh, something bold and while he doesn't use that Fast and Furious theme that he's become known for it's good to see him take his material branch off into new directions and do some bigger and better stuff with it on the performances you've got the old hands of Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez leading a cast as Dom and Letty respectively all of the usual suspects are there Natalie Emanuel Jordana Brewster uh, you've even got Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson con- continuing a unique comedic double act uh, throughout the film uh, You've also got Charlie Ferron, who it's like a little bit part at best, coming back from Fast Day, and you also have the eagerly awaited return of Sun Kang as the protagonist of Tokyo Drift, the once presumed dead Han. But the real fun comes with one man, one actor who really, really surprised audiences when I seen it last Wednesday. And his name is John Cena! I had to. I had to. Um, Seeing Cena play a role that's unlike anything he has done before is a real breath of fresh air. And I know there's been a lot written in the press about how he wants to make his big WWE comeback. I think his heart lies in movies now. And if anything, it didn't feel like a Fast and Furious film that didn't have Rock or Johnson in it. That's a good. That's a nice thing about these Fast and Furious films. Is the standalone pieces they work, but as a series of films connected together, they work just as well too. Uh, and if he if Cena continues this form, the Suicide Squad just became a messy big screen event. Uh, and we got the trigger for that before Fast Nine. Good, good targeting by Gear. The head office overlords. For the die-hard fans of the first eight films, Fast 9 delivers everything you'd expect from the series and more, but for casual audiences, the MCU-style callbacks will make it difficult to follow for those who've got absolutely no interest in the series. It's a decent enough film, but we've got ending, and we're not going to go into detail on in the ending because a mindful of the fact that not everyone will have had chance to go to their local cinema and watch the film yet. I don't know if I want another direct sequel because I I made the mistake of watching Hobbs and Shaw for the first time before watching Fast 9, and I preferred Hobbs and Shaw to Fast and Furious 9, and that's a bold thing to say for a spin-off film. It is a decent film, we gave it three stars on the blog, but for, for those of you who've never seen Talking Smith about film before, we don't use the star ratings here, it's got its own dedicated rating scale that ranges from not worth watching to wait for DVD. Worth a watch, should be watched. Go out and see it now, and the highest rating we can bestow on a movie is the Masterpiece rating. I can't give this film any higher than worth a watch um, because it has good points, it has bad points, it has rugby points, and that's the first of many rugby jokes we're going to be making tonight, by the way, folks. It's um, not that we got a Lions tour on this week or anything like that, uh, but it is a decent enough film for what it tries to do. But it does struggle with its general execution and the general feel just doesn't make it as enjoyable as it really should have been. There is a lot of potential there and again I'm interested to see where the franchise goes but in terms of actually watching films I don't know if I ever want to put myself through Fast 10, Fast 11, however many more they want to do. I'll only probably end up reviewing spin-offs. Uh, but in terms of like pure big screen escapism, it is a proper big screen experience. And I can understand why Universal have been holding the film back until now to ensure it gets the best possible audience on the big screen. In fact, it, as it as it currently stands, because Coms Grand, but this week's box office out yet. Yeah, it is currently the biggest opening of a film in the UK since Covid hit. It did 6.4 million on its opening weekend. Black Widow is rumoured to be doing somewhere under reaching 6.8, and we'll get on to that a little bit later, but Fast 9, decent film, has its issues, jobs are good, first review done, and we are bang on time uh, for the film news rundown. And it's been another slow news week until about four and a half minutes before we went on air, because... <laughs> Deadpool's in the MCU now, apparently. Um, As part of the promo for Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds put out a little short film featuring him as Deadpool and Taika Waititi as Korg reacting to the Free Guy trailer. Is it canon? Is it canon? That's the big thing. Is this actually canon, Deadpool's in the MCU now? Cause he felt like himself. Or is it just Ryan Reynolds flexing and being Ryan Reynolds? I don't know. In other MCU news, Black Widow, welcome back American audiences to the big screen in style. It did $200 million on its first weekend stateside. So the UK stats will follow a little bit later this week. But like I mentioned, it's going to be doing somewhere in a region of 6.8 million according to what Comscore have said because we've not got this week's stats through properly yet so we're going to report last week's box office, it's a long story Other Marvel news as well Taika Waititi has been speaking about Thor, Love and Thunder He has been saying a lot about the film to Empire Magazine uh, as part of the promotion for Free Guy He has claimed that Love and Thunder is so crazy that it doesn't make sense To that I just say, yes please Yes please Uh, In other news Henry Cavill, Sam Rockwell, Dua Lipa and Brian Cranston have been named amongst the cast for Matthew Vaughan's brand new film, Argyle. We don't know much about the plot, we don't know much about the writer, all we know is that that is the cast. Matthew Vaughan will direct, of course, after dealing with Kingsman, um, after getting the third film done. Vaughn is a director who can't do any wrong in my eyes. He's always put out a good movie, he's done a very good body of work and Kingsman has really elevated his status up that little bit more. I mean, even though people don't really talk about kick-ass that much for understandable reasons. We do unfortunately have some sad news to major Hollywood passings report. Robert Downey Sr. has passed aged 85 and on the day of the marathon, Richard Donner, the director of the original Superman film, passed away age 91, and as a result, Odie and her are showing the original Superman film tonight in of Charity. It's bonkers to see more Hollywood greats leaving us for the biggest red party, carpet after-party in the sky. And finally, we've waited a while to say these words. On Monday, cinemas in England can reopen to full capacity for the first time since March 17th, 2020. Scotland will ease restrictions in a similar way on Monday, to one metre social distancing, just in time for what I'm referring to as Hot View Summer. A whole year's worth of releases in the best part of 16 weeks. It's a really good time to be in the film industry. Ladies and gentlemen, that was your Film News Rundown. I thank you. All oh, right, So it is just gone 20 past 7 on this Tuesday the 13th of July. We're going to have a quick, not a break, but a lot of you will have probably noticed that the journal set looks a little bit different. Um, and I kind of alluded to it with the fact that the Lions tour gag um, because I've got me Lions merch up there. But this little artwork was a birthday treat that the family bought for me because... If you watch the the journal special that we did back in February, uh, February March about about rugby, you'll know that I'm aware of a little organisation called Happiness is Egg Shaped, run by a brilliant man out of Edinburgh called Bruce Atchison, and Bruce introduced us to an artist uh, down in the in the um, God's country that is Gwynedd,ly in Wales, and I said it right um, by the name of Arwal uh, who runs uh, Art Design Camry. Um, freelance illustrator graphic design so my mum surprised me um, and she had a print in his own inimitable style done of the rugby stadium where I'm going to be playing my trade a lot next season because I've got a sales shark season ticket now, hard to believe Um, but that is a one of a kind bespoke artwork of the AJ Bell in Salford and just up there this is only really one for the YouTube views. Just up there, where I'm pointing, that is where I was sat for my very first live game of Gallagher Premiership Rugby last season, and I'm going to be in the East End quite a bit next season. Can't wait for that. Looking forward to seeing the uh, boys kick off the season against Bath on September 18th. But that is for a completely different podcast, because I am seriously thinking about launching a rugby podcast and become that well-versed in the game. But I mentioned Edinburgh. That's a nice little segue into our second review of this marathon and the first of the back-to-back reviews on July 8th. This is the first film I've seen as a 23-year-old and I feel like I've ticked a bucket list film off. I don't need to introduce this film at all aside from saying two very simple words. Choose life. This is the trailer for the 25th anniversary reissue of Train Spotting. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a f-ing big television. <laughs> You're a quiet, sensitive type. Oh, a little bit crazy, a little bit bad. But don't us girls just love that? Eh? Choose washing machines, cars. Choose DIY and wondering who the f*** you are on a Sunday morning. Mr. think you lied on your application. Oh, yeah. oh yes, only to get my foot in the door. What so exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? In a Pleasure. Like, more pleasure than other people's Pleasure. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of f- fabrics. He's always been lacking in moral fiber. He knows a lot of Sean Connery. Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your shape? Clear enough, Mitch. Money, panic. <laughs> she was sitting on that couch watching mind numbing, spirit crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Come on! Yeah! yeah, the guy's a psycho. He's a mate, and also. What can you do? What are you two talking about? Football! <coughs> what are you talking about? Shopping. Choose your friends. Choose your future. Choose life. <sighs> what are you waiting for? This is not natural, man. It's a great outdoors! now i'm just going to fill for time while youtube makes the stream available once again it's hard to believe that it is 25 years since one of the greatest british films ever made has Graced cinema screens for the first time it doesn't look a day over five years old it might it might look a bit aged by current standards but it is a film that Film 4 crack out on a very frequent basis and of course it's quite worthy of the 18th certificate uh, it's not an easy film to watch by any stretch of the imagination but with it being back at view last week as part of Film 4's Summer of Cinema season where they're reissuing Six iconic film four commissions, including Bargy on the Beach, My Beautiful Laundrette, uh Train Spotting, Two Others which I can't remember the name of. Um seeing a lot of these great British films back where they belong on the big screen is really good news for the industry, and it's a good way to get the crowds back in too. Uh it doesn't look like we're gonna be getting YouTube back anytime soon, but the trailer does a very good job of depicting the film and picking a clip that all of you haven't seen for, for a film like Trayvors Bossing is easier said than done to give you a basic flavour of what the film is about it's based on the Irvin Welsh book of the same name Mark Renton, deeply immersed in the Edinburgh drug scene tries to clean up and get out despite the allure of the drugs and the influence of his friends Begbie, Sick Boy and Spud three of the bestest friends you could ever want before you have an opportunity and then you betray them that's one for people you've seen t2 25 years on and this film has not aged that much danny boyle took a big leap back in the day to make this film happen make this big adaptation of the Irving Welsh novel happen, and it's certainly been a risk worth taking because a cult classic was born in the process. Welcome back, YouTube, by the way. Uh, the film is paced near perfectly, with every last detail still having some purpose all these years on. Every little bit of balls direction combined with a very faithful adaptation of the book by John Hodge who would come back and write T2 train spotting in 2017 adds up to a 93 minute film that not only entertains the audiences with Renton's journey to get clean but also informs audiences through very good utilization of that 18 certificate on the serious effects of the subject matter and we talked about this briefly with Another Round last week, which, uh, which is a Danish film that does has a similar kind of plot about how alcohol ruins your life and it's not all the be-all and end-all. It's a real choose-life message. And it does not afraid to go to places that no film has been ever since. Cinematography is top-level stuff from Brian Tafano, And seeing it in 4K on a big screen, on screen two to be precise, which I add to myself because, of course, um, it was a real big-screen-worthy film. Seeing it where it was born to be seen was a list moment. Watching this film back, not just on Blu-ray, but watching this film back in a cinema is an absolute treat. On to the performances. We all know how good they are in this film. and McGregor puts in some great work alongside the old gang, Johnny Lee Miller, Robert Carlyle and Ewan Bremner as Sick Boy Begbie and Spud respectively. however in her very first feature film performance Kelly Macdonald proved why she's become a major player in the British and American film scene. To go from a role like this to playing a Disney princess and then popping up in Jen Mercurio's Line of Duty in its last series takes a lot of guts and especially at that age to do play the kind of role that she plays. i would got rumours that she lied about her age because there was a moment, you probably sent it in the trailer. Apologies for the trailer. If on YouTube, it probably got blocked by the time the scene came up, we had to see the scene where Renton and Diane do things and um, it's alluded to that she was a 16 year old in the film, we're not going to dwell on that detail, Um, to go from a role like this to playing bigger, better roles within Disney films and take on some huge TV roles in the process as well takes a lot of guts but working like someone like Danny Boyle is an instant way to do it. Trainspotting is single-handedly the seminal British film of the 1990s, and for the view staff who worked that cinema on the marathon, it was a good way to introduce them to what cinema used to be like. It was a good way to introduce themselves to um, make it a big sort of celebration of culture at the time. Uh, it is by far and away, and there is no easy way to admit it is a masterpiece it is a masterpiece and seeing it back where it belongs on the big screen was just like the best possible way to open my birthday celebration it's a shame that the sequel didn't have to be as good as the uh, as the brilliant original but we will we will talk about t2 in another time and in another place so it's now time to talk about the box office, and it's a bit of a strange box office this week because we don't actually have um, this week. Um, we don't actually have good top ten for this weekend. We've got the top ten for the second for to the fourth of July but we don't actually have the, the, the top ten for the for this weekend yet. But we will do. A little bonus thing on Talking about for on the Lee Jack Split Facebook page with this week's box office as soon as we get it. So we will do the top 15, as we usually do. Uh, and I can tell you that 15th place uh, was Daisy, Daisy Quoker, World's Scariest Animal, uh, Australian film from Signature, Signature Entertainment, was a brand new entry this week. Did 52,000... Well, last week, sorry. £52,780. 14th place was Violet Evergarden the Movie, similar situation, anime from Japan, National Amusements released it. It did fifty four grand. Uh, with a site average of 785 so we've got a new spreadsheet that's able to do this 13th place was Tom and Jerry the movie a film that my best friend Sophie Knox is uh, trying to rip into me for giving a, a bad review on Talking Split a couple of weeks back that's still hanging around in the top 15 uh, it did 66 grand last weekend for Warner it is up to £986,000 from UK cinemas which again very good guy at 12th place is The Father, which is fourth week in the chart for Lionsgate. Uh, it's not really made that much of a dent in Top 15. Uh, it, yeah, sixty-eight grand for Lionsgate. Uh, it's up to a little over £1.8 which, again, decent going. And at 11th place is Dogtanian and the Free Master Hounds. It's taken 20 years or so to get the film on screen. In its second week on release, it is up to a nice and round 70, well, 77 grand from that weekend. It's up to 319,391 pounds from UK cinemas. And I don't need to actually look at the spreadsheet now because as it was marathon, we have the book. The book comes in handy. So. Without any further ado, let's run you down last week's UK Island Box Office Top 10. Hit the music! <laughs> At 10th place this week is Supernova, which did £89,000 for Studio Canal uh, It's up to £510,000. It was down on last week uh, and it's been doing pretty well for Lionsgate, uh, well, Studio Canal, all things considered. Ninth place was a brand new entry last week, Re- we reviewed it. On our last talking sweet about film, it did two hundred five grand. We're talking about the daily film Another Round, which I'm very happy to see in the box office top ten. In eighth, The Conjuring: The Devil Made Me Do It. It's down on the prior week. It did two hundred twenty-seven thousand pounds from UK cinemas, so bringing it up to eight point eight million pounds for Warner Brothers. Not bad for a horror film to be doing that kind of money outside of Halloween. At seventh place is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but it did 300 grand from UK cinemas, bringing it up to 3.1 million. It's another film that's down on last week. Uh, Lionsgate will be pretty happy with how it's been doing, because um, it's been. It okay. As, uh, as a friend of mine would say, at six was a brand new entry in the form of Freaky, the new film from the creators of Happy Death Day. It would have been a marathon film if View had put it on at a decent time of the afternoon and not at half past ten at night. And it looks pretty good. We'll review it at some point. Into the top five now. and Cruella's been hanging around pretty well. It did £410,000 from UK cinema last week, bringing it up to £8.4 million for Disney, even with the premium access. Factor into that at fourth place again, no change for a quiet place part two, which did 425,000 pounds, bringing it up to 10.3 million pounds for Paramount. In third place is in the Heights, which did 466 grand, bringing it up to 3.3 million in its second week on release. And at second, my oh my, Peter Rabbit's done very well, 830 grand, bringing it up to 17.4 million. So last week's number one was Fast and Furious Nine which did £2.6 million, up to £10.8 million lifetime. But I can tell you that the current UK box office number one, because we know this, is Black Widow, which did an impressive £6.8 million from UK cinemas over the course of the last couple of days, which is impressive when you consider the, the industry... Is at half capacity and we'll be at half capacity for another week and a half. To put it in to, uh, to put this into perspective for you all. I also have here. Let me just find this. I have the equivalent box office weekend from last year. Or 2019 rather. That was the equivalent box office for that weekend, this weekend in 2019. Spider-Man did 14.1 million on the equivalent weekend in 2019 and with all things considered we've got apprehension for people to come back to the big screen we've got a whole uh, what's the best word um, reluctance to watch films on the big screen given the fact we've all been streaming for the last six months it is an impressive bit of work to pull off a 6.8 million pound opening weekend which is higher than what Tenet did which is higher than what Peace Rabbit did which is higher than what Fast and Furious did it's an impressive bit of work for the industry and it's got a lot of good ramifications for everything going forward because we've got Space Jam opening this week. We've got The Croods opening this week. We've got so many big films opening over the next two and a bit months. It's going to be a, a big effort for everyone in the industry to make this restart really work. So I cannot say this enough. If you've not been back to the cinema since we reopened, you are missing out. It is safe. I can also confirm that um, I spent three days in a cinema last week. I've not got COVID. So um, it is a very COVID secure environment. And it is among one of the safest places that, uh, that is actually open right now. And this is the film that made it happen it is now finally time to talk about the latest effort in the marvel cinematic universe this is a spoiler free review because we've waited nearly two years to say that again it is now time to talk about the moment the film we have all been waiting for it was originally to released in March 2020, then it got pushed back, then it got, was rumoured for Disney+, Plus. then it got pushed back again to October, and then October came and it got pushed back to July. It is on Disney+, Plus premium access for a nominal fee, but it is also on the big screen, where it was born to be viewed. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is time to talk about Black Widow. To me, you were everything. Bring her home. Put your seatbelt on. She's such a worm. One thing's for sure. I'm done running from my past. Oh, it is a good moment seeing a film with a July... Well, July 9th in the States, but it came out in July on July 7th here in England. This is about as spoiler-free as we can make it. This is a film about Natasha Romanoff and what she gets up to between Civil War and Infinity War. It's filling in the gaps. It might be the start of a fourth phase of the MCU. But if anything, it's more filling the gaps. It's not a prequel. It's not an origin story. It's a direct continuation of the storyline It takes it in some very interesting directions. If you've seen Falcon and the Winter Soldier and have been introduced to some of the, the new plot devices that the MCU are bringing in. Uh, but this is arguably the most anticipated review of the marathon schedule. Uh, we do have a clip um, of, uh, of Natasha Romanoff and her sister, Emma, doing things Go away. Creating a plan uh, If you haven't seen a film yet And don't want it spoiled I'd say turn off this YouTube stream Or turn off this podcast For about the next 90 seconds or so uh, Because we are going to play a clip from the film Here's a clip Or shall I just stay ducking cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. You're welcome. Yep. That, that's literally the clip that they issued to the press. This is arguably the most anticipated review of the entire 2021 marathon schedule and it's hard not to understand why after a longer than anticipated gap between films, something which myself and a junior reporter over at newspapers, Gemma Nettle have joked about quite a bit after a two-year gap, we finally have the official start of Phase 4 and as a typical Marvel film does it entertains the masses it does the job very well but this is a more important film than anything else this is the moment that the big screen came home there were genuine goosebumps when the marvel studios music kicked in it was a beautiful moment on thursday being signed screen six seeing that logo come on screen it felt like the cinema had truly come back Uh, It's Kate Shortland taking up the directorial post on this 24th entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and she does a very good job of taking that creative vision and pushing it in its new direction beyond the events of Endgame while at the same time delivering a runtime of 2 hours and 13 minutes and a little bit of a loose change in the form of a a game-changing post-credit sequence uh, which feels about right for a film of this nature. Heading the script is Eric Pearson who again... It's able to take the pre-existing material and morph it into a story that doesn't fully explore the origin of the black widow character but add to what we already know from prior films including iron man 2 from the first couple of avengers movies this is a film where you can really see how much involvement scarlett johansson's had on the character over the years it feels like the perfect well i mean it's, it's two years on from endgame it's the perfect send-off for the black widow character under Scarlet johansson's help but I do see them doing some interesting things with the character going forward. Uh, and I've been discussing this with a friend of mine who works at one of the other cinemas in Preston about sort of like because it is a bit of a darker film at points, which again the MCU's core audience have grown up over the years. It's doing exactly what Harry Potter did growing up with the audience. You also have Lorne Balf on scoring duty. It's the man behind the Mission Impossible Fallout score. And yep. Just saying a word, Lon Balf on score is enough of a sell for me. You also have Gabriel Beristain behind the camera, and you can really see the fact that this was a, a film that was shot for the big screen, shot for IMAX, shot for the best possible viewing environment, because it's a, it's a loud film, it's a big film, but it's a Marvel film. What do you, what else do you come to expect from these kinds of things? We've got cast. It is very clear to see Scarlett Johansson's influence both as lead star, but she is also an executive producer on this movie. She's able to take this Black Widow's black backstory and flesh it out into something that readers feel worthy of its own standalone film. Joining her for the ride is David Harbour, Rachel Weisz, O.T. Benley, and surprisingly, Ray Winston, who has a very laughable Russian accent at times. You can still hear the cockney in it. You can still hear the cockney in that accent. But I can also say that a star is well and truly made in Florence Pugh, who has been on the rise ever since she was in Fighting With My Family, ever since she worked with Ari Aster on *Midsummer* a couple of years back. Um, Those films introduced her to the mainstream around the time the last marathon happened at View Preston, and I can easily see more major roles coming her way as a result. This is a film which really does showcase the pulling power of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the big screen. In terms of the big screen's COVID capacity and the recovery, on the release day alone, it did £1.2 million at the box office here, which with the 50% capacity cap, which is going to be gone next week, this is a mad opening week. This film opened big. It opened to 6800000 million. We've been waiting since ten at for a proper cross-generational movie to help welcome the the general public back to the big screen. And at last, we finally have it. Black Widow may not be the strongest Marvel film, which is a very good thing considering the standard that has come before. That's a compliment more than anything. The Marvel films have just been so good throughout their runtime. There have been a few duds, but the duds have still been good. This may not be the strongest Marvel film, but it is the film that cinema exhibitors have been waiting for. It's best enjoyed big, it's best enjoyed loud and in the best possible seats. Because this truly is the moment that we get to say that cinema is back. This is a the epitome of a should be watched film. Because it's not the perfect kind of movie but if you've had investment in the marvel cinematic universe up to this point and if you have disney plus and it watched shows like wandavision you're watching loki you've watched falcon and the winter soldier you will know exactly what you're letting yourself in for and it also and importantly it really does set the wheels in motion for what is to follow over the course of the next couple of years Including rumored to be a, a Dark Avengers film, there's rumored to be a Deadpool film. I know we're getting a new Doctor Strange film in a couple of years. We've got Shang Chi later in the year. We've got Eternals later in a the year. There's a lot of great output coming coming our way from Marvel over the next few months, years, um, and as we really get into Phase Four, it's going to be interesting to cover them and see whether we'll whether we'll actually get a repeat of a moment that we got in April last year when, end, when April 2019 when Endgame came out. And that big cross-generational appeal that made that film such a success that it was. So before we launch into our final review, um, there's been a slight change of plan with the journal. Uh, Because after this podcast, I'm going to be taking two weeks off. Uh, Which means uh, we're not going to be able to get an episode out this month, sadly. But we do have backup plans in place. We're delighted to announce that next month getting two for the price of one you'll get a double bill of episodes next month including the reviewing the reviews episode aka the spiciest episode we have ever made and a bumper length journal covering the marathon, covering um, the return to full capacity and importantly covering me getting my second dose of the vaccine later this week because uh, I'm eligible now tomorrow I'm eligible for the second dose, eight weeks on And this this is a mad thing. Cinema's been back open for eight weeks now. Um, The joke amongst the uh, the, V Preston team. If we make it to August the 1st, we'll have been open longer than we were last time around. And it's looking very likely indeed. Speaking of that team, they had a very big task for the final film of the marathon this year. Usually it's just me, executive producer Ed Greenberg, executive producer Aaron Wilson, who picked the films. This year, we delegated the choice of the final film to the team at that cinema. And my God, they have incredible taste because they picked a real feel-good movie. It was a typical marathon unseen film. We kept it a secret from you guys, but some of you were smart enough to figure it out. Let's talk about a bit of a musical. Let's talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda and a, a thing that he wrote back in 2008 that won a Tony for Best Broadway Musical. Oh, Kiera uh, Alegria, who does? Yeah, my Spanish isn't that good. This is the trailer for In The Heights. What does suenito mean? Suenito. It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. Yeah. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In a barrio called Washington Heights, the streets were made of music i Usnavi and you probably never heard my name, reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. caliente, café hey. con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. This is going to be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are against you. But there's a chance, right? A dream isn't some sparkly diamond. There's no shortcuts. Sometimes it's rough. the yeah, street light choking on the heat. The world spins around while I'm frozen to my. are talking about kicking out all the dreamers. Every day is different, so it's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. In Shh. Just listen. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Ignore anyone who doubts you. This is a beautiful film, and once again, I have to pad for time while YouTube makes its way through the trailer because it's been temporarily blocked again. Um, the view got picked, it. it was a two horse race for the Marathon Unseen between this and Freaky, which which charted at six in, the, in last week's box office, and they weren't within the heights knowing that, um, it was on at a decent time of day, 25 past two. It was one of the first films on. I did three opens on a bounce, which is rare for a marathon. But for a musical to make the marathon list, take some doing. And it is a film that that's, could get a journal a little bit later down the line. I've been chatting with one of, one of my co-writers of a journal about potentially doing an episode on this movie. And it, it's something that really could go down well. So if you're watching on YouTube, if you, if you really want to see a journal on Inga The Heights later on in the year when it's out on DVD and Blu-ray, um, let us know, because we've already started working on a few ideas already. Uh, I might as well launch into the review, because the little yellow bar on YouTube studio hasn't gone yet. This is a very faithful film version of the Broadway musical in which Uznavi. A sympathetic New York bodega owner saves every penny every day as he imagines and sings about his suenito, his dream, a better life. And as we've joked, this is a film that The View team have picked. They've had a lot of input in this year's marathon. My word, The View team, the great men and women of View Preston have incredible taste because this film adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda and Chiara Alegria Hudez's 2008 Broadway breakthrough is a true big screen musical for this generation. Taking, the, We're not going to play a clip on this one because we would be copyright blocked to infinity. Hello, YouTube. We'll be copyright blocked to infinity just like that um, if we were to play a song from the film. Uh, but what we will do is, in the description, uh, is they have put the first eight minutes of the film out, which is the opening number of the film. So, we'll link you to that uh, after this talking smith about film concludes on YouTube. Taking this direct to see is John M. Chu, the man behind 2018's Crazy Rich Asians and fellow marathon film from 2016, from the very first marathon. Uh, now You See Me Too, which you can watch a review of that if Future Me is in a good mood with the little button at the top of the screen. Thank you, Future Me, in post production when this is processed. Hopefully it, doesn't take, hopefully it doesn't take long on YouTube this time around. Um, it feels like this was the form, film he was born to direct. There's clear emphasis on scale, which is something that is truly important for a musical movie of this kind. But at 2 hours 23, even with some major changes compared to the original stage show, it feels like 10 to 15 minutes could have been cut to bring it down to a much tighter... Runtime because the pacing is a bit all over the shop at times and like something that not just m- me and the, the V Preston team have said, it's something that the critics have pointed out as well. It does feel like a bit of an overly long film. Okay. On script duties is Chiara Alegria, who herself, adapting the characters that she knows so well for a more refined Hollywood version of the film, and it's not afraid to go into the truths the show had known for. And yes, they might have changed some lyrics changed in '96,000. I've changed the um, like Nina's daddy's Donald Trump line to Tiger Woods. I changed that line for very obvious reasons. Um, but it's more refined Hollywood production. You've got Alice Brooks behind the camera, Alice Lacoma and Bill Sherman handling the original music. Um, cinematography. I can't remember who shot the film, uh, but it is a very big kind of film. And I'm just very quickly going on to the IMDb page because I have literally just realised that I didn't put cinematography in the review at all because I was in like the biggest rush to get that review out live before, um, before the events of this morning kicked off. I'm like very padding for time. What I find out in cinematography, someone I do have to mention is the costume designer, Mitchell Travers. Uh, We looked at a film that he worked on on the Birthday Marathon Journal last year. Me and Sophie looked into it on Huskers and you can see the kind of films that he does in charge of costumes. There isn't much to fault on a technical front, especially... Oh yeah, we have mentioned cinematography. Oh, I'm, I'm having an off day. I'm having an off day. Alex Brooks on cinematography. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a stressful day here, all right? Um, but there isn't much to fault on a technical front. Leading the cast, though, is one of Lin-Manuel Miranda's frequent collaborators. Taking a role that Lin himself created on Broadway is Hamilton alumni Anthony Ramos, who absolutely bosses it, absolutely bosses it. Because, of course, Lynn's lyrics still tonally work all these times on. He takes the role of Navi and truly makes it his own. Because with a cast which includes Corey Hawkins, Leslie Grace, Jimmy Smith, good name, uh, Gregory Diaz-Gaforth as Sonny, who is a scene-stealer, uh, Melissa Barrera and Olga Meredith, who was in the original version of Inga the Heights on Broadway, reprising her role from, the, from that original production. Alongside cameos, which quite simply cannot be spoiled. Uh, but if you know the show, and you know Lynn's body of work in the past, and if you've watched Hamilton on, on Disney+, you will probably recognise the cameos. Um, this is a faithful adaptation that feels right at home on the big screen. It might not be perfect, but if superheroes, fast cars, animated bunnies... Um, Films about cavemen aren't your thing. This is a nice and safe, if potentially a little bit contentious at times, PG certificate. Because I had issues with a PG certificate. There are moments that felt 12 in my eyes and I know the BBFC have really clamped down and bit, got a lot more lenient on what you can and can't get away with at 12 but this didn't feel like a PG to my, in my eyes this should have been a 12 because there are some serious sexual undertones that are alluded to it's, uh, some elements of the film are heavy there are some very heavy political elements too because I know the whole Dreamer thing that was added to the show in 2015 was added to the film and this is a film it's a fun musical that has its problems at points but all things considered this was a very worthy way to close out the birthday marathon it's sadly not got long left in cinemas because it is going to get absolutely dwarfed by the amount of blockbusters that are coming in Uh, but if you can track this down on a big screen do it do it do it do it do it while it's on the new 45 day window get on it while you still can because this is a go out and see it now kind of film it is that enjoyable it's not the same god tier musical as la la land was But the big screen musical is in a very good place going forward because we're getting Dear Evan Hansen later on in the year. And I know a lot of my nearest and dearest are looking forward to seeing that film make its way on to the big screen later this year. And with that, bang on an hour, that is it for this week's Talking Smith About Film. It is an absolute miracle that we've made it through that in one piece. But of course, as we mentioned at the top of the show, um, there's going to be a few changes around here for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm effectively becoming a full-time carer for the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, couple of weeks till the end of July at the earliest. Uh, so as a result, a lot of the content is going to slow down uh, until the start of August. That includes the journal, as we mentioned. That will include talking Smith about film. That will include new reviews. But we can say, all being well, we'll return... The uh, week, week after the Lions Tour finishes, uh, August 7th, that is scheduled to be the case, with reviews of The Suicide Squad and a couple of the other major releases. I'm just ready get the end card here. Uh, we do have all sorts of other things uh, going on as well. We have journals ready on standby. We have the, the archive. um We also have, if you're listening on the podcast feed and you're relatively new around here, during the second lockdown, well, third lockdown technically, we put out every single radio show that I did back in the day at UCLan. Every single Rip Ticket show that I did back at UCLan has gone out on the Talking Smith About Film podcast feed uh, over the last couple of months. So literally, we've got a big archive of reviews now on that podcast feed. So if you ever, ever you're bored, search for Talking Smith Better Film on your podcast platform of choice um, because there is so much content there and also uh, there's so much content coming to thejacksmith.com as we get ever close to full capacity. Um, it is a relief that we are now at a stage here in England where we can start welcoming all of you back to like a big screen in ways that we've not been able to do so for a good 16, 17 months. But that is it for this week's Talking Smith About Film. We did it. We made it. The marathon is complete for another year. We will see you in a couple of weeks. But until then, please if you haven't already get both doses of your vaccine. Because Jack said so. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks for more talking Smith about film goodness. Until then, follow us at Lee Jack Smith and at Smith on Film on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Search us on Instagram. You know the drill. Until the next time we are together, my name's Jack Smith. You've heard me talk nonsense about film. And until then, we will see you at the movies.